Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Well, good morning and welcome to church. Whether you're here with us or joining us at home on your couch, our desire is that Bible Center is a place where you can find spiritual friends, and that Bible Center is a place that just feels like home. So we love that you're engaged and that you're here and you're a part of what we are doing A cool thing that's coming up that I wanna make sure that you know about is our Parenting Today panel that our family ministry team is putting on on April 3rd. It'll be here on stage. I would love for you to come and be a part of it. What we're gonna focus on as a parent, and I'm a parent with a couple of teenagers, is how do we raise our kids to center their lives around Jesus? How do we make their spiritual walk with the Lord a centerpiece of who they are, their priorities, and how they think? We're also gonna talk about how do we not just work on the behavior part of who our kids are, but on the heart part of who they are. You don't wanna just fix the behavior that they go off to college and then they get to do a whole bunch of stuff that you were hoping they wouldn't do. Like you want their heart to be changed, that they're the same person on the outside as they are on the inside. So we're gonna talk about motives, intentions, how our kids are doing on the inside. Because for our kids, it's about transformation. Our whole series on James has been about transformation. It's called Holy Transformed because James cares about the inside, not just the outside. Kind of reminds me of something that happened to me about a year and a half ago. I've got this Stairmaster in my garage. It's like a torture device. Um, and then it's got all these gears to make it work. And there's this hard plastic container that goes around the gears because you're not supposed to like put your hand in the gears. So I took the plastic container off and then I stuck my finger into the gears trying to clean it, got sucked through, messed up my finger pretty bad. And the doctor said, you need to first go and get an x-ray. So I show up, slide my hand under the x-ray and the doctor needed me to do that because he needed to know not just what was happening on the outside, the outside didn't look great, but he also needed to know what was going on on the inside. What had it done to the bone structure inside of my finger? And I would say in a lot of ways, what James is doing to us throughout these weeks and even a couple months is taking us into like a humongous whole body spiritual MRI, where he's not just checking in on what's going on on the outside, but he's wanting us to slowly, with a little bit of discomfort, check on what's going on on the inside. So you're gonna feel that today. This passage, like lots of James is gonna push us. This one has pushed me. Um, The comments I got after the first service is, thank you for stepping on my toes. And that won't be intentional. My hope is that God's stepping on toes, not me in any way, but that's where we're going. James chapter five, which is where we're gonna be today. If you have a Bible, open that thing up. We're gonna kind of go word by word, verse by verse through it. Uh, You're gonna probably wanna take some notes. I'm gonna be throwing some questions at you as we go. In fact, we'll end the sermon with a couple heart check questions. We'll even go into communion with some time to reflect upon the answers to those questions in terms of how we're doing and our relationship with God and our stuff. That's what the conversation's about today. And James comes at this conversation with a prophetic tone. What I mean by that is that you're gonna feel some warnings and you're gonna feel some potential judgment. This passage is actually written to unbelieving, wealthy landowners. I didn't know that. So after I studied it, I was like, oh, a lot of things make more sense. It's actually written to unbelieving, wealthy landowners. But in the process of having this like almost symbolic conversation with them, because they're not reading the letter, James is saying, you as believers in Christ need to hear what's going on in the hearts of the unbelieving landowners. Why? Because you and I might share some of those same tendencies. 
The heart check he's trying to give them is a heart check that you and I also need. So even as we hear him going after the unbelieving, wealthy, rich, I don't want us to stand back at a distance and kind of throw stones. That's right, you are terrible. No, it's a moment to put ourselves into the MRI to look deep and see what's going on. So as we jump into the text, it starts with a stern warning. The first two words in chapter five, verse one is, come now. Last week, when Caleb preached, the first two words of his sermon were, come now. So there's this thing that James is doing. He's kind of trying to draw this part of the passage out a little bit. And he's saying, open your ears, open your eyes. Here's a moment where you wanna make sure you pay attention. And then he addresses those who he's talking to. Come now, you rich. Weep. And how? Well, why? For your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. So he says, weep and howl. Those are strong words. Why is he using such strength right away with this topic, with this audience? Well, God sees what's coming. According to the passage, he can look into the future and he sees miseries are coming upon these people. And at the same time, he sees what's happening in the present. The things that they're putting their trust in their stuff, their wealth, it's rotting. It's becoming worthless. So they, they don't really have anything to stand on in the present. And he sees the hammer coming from the distance. So God says, come now. He calls them to listen. So instead of viewing Jesus as their treasure, they're viewing their stuff as their treasure. And it is so easy for us to struggle with the same Five years ago, Matt challenged me, Pastor Matt Friend challenged me to come and be a part of Bible Center Church as a pastor. At the time, I was a full-time personal trainer. I don't know where they got that picture from, must be Facebook, but I was a full-time personal trainer and I happened to be successful in it. I wasn't intending to be, but I happened to do pretty well in it. So to transition from being a personal trainer to being a pastor of Bible Center meant something for me and my family. We had a home that was almost paid off. I had relationships, the career was built and it was just, it was moving. It was doing exactly what you would hope your career would do. Now I came to Bible Center Church and I'm taking care of just great here. I'm very thankful for everything I have at Bible Center Church, but it meant something for me and my family to go from that career to this career. So we had to have a heart check, just like we're doing a heart check. What's more important, accumulating more stuff or investing in eternity. And the thing that just, I came and visited, whoops, I got to meet all of you and I got hooked. I realized what God could do here with people like you, with brothers and sisters in a valley that's hurting so badly. So I had to come because I could just see what God could do that would affect eternity through a church like this in a place like this. So I had to say no to some things so I could say yes to some things. I had to go through a heart check a phrase that stuck out to me even in the midst of that decision was this. In college, someone said, the only things in life that are eternal are God, the word of God, and the souls of men. God, the word of God, and the souls of men. And the extent to which you're invested in those three things is the extent to which you are invested in eternity. So I had to look at my decision. I'm like, well, it just became a no-brainer. 
let's sell the house. We're coming to West Virginia. So even for you, as we're going on this journey of checking our heart, as you think about your stuff, as you think about your decisions, as you think about your schedule and your priorities, where does God, the word of God, and the souls of men fit into your life? Where does it land on your priority chart? Where does it land in your schedule? Where does it land with how you use your resources? So as we continue through the text, there's an unlikely witness that kind of pops up. In verse three, it says this, your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. So he's talking to these folks and he says, there is a witness that is now standing up that is against you. You've placed your faith in your treasure, but your treasure is the very thing that will be a witness against your heart, a witness against who you are and the choices you have made. So they thought they were investing in something that would be good for them, but it's the thing that actually could hurt them. Back in college, I knew some guys, I wouldn't call them friends and they didn't ask for my opinion, but they bought a baby alligator to keep in their dorm room. A baby alligator, yep, you heard me, in their dorm room. You also heard that. So not a good decision, right? but they bought the baby alligator. I think they thought they could get girls with the baby alligator. If you're a lady, I don't know if that does anything for you, but I really didn't see many girls like moving to head to meet these guys because of the baby alligator. So they keep it in the closet. Great choice. So they keep the baby alligator in the closet. Then one morning they woke up and baby alligator got out of the closet. Eventually they found baby alligator, but something dawned on them. What if my foot was hanging off the bed? What if we had decided to sleep on the floor that night? What would have happened with them and baby alligator? They could have lost a toe. They could have lost a foot. They could have had teeth marks, like kind of right across here somewhere. So the thing that they thought would help them out, the thing that they thought would help them maybe meet some girls was the same thing that was gonna take their toe, put teeth marks in their head, take their foot. How often do we look at our stuff a little bit like how they looked at the baby alligator? We think it's the thing that's gonna protect us. We think it's the thing that's gonna help us. We think it's the thing that's gonna take us up a notch in life. And really it's the thing that's gonna hurt us. It's gonna come after us. It's going to be the thing that checks us in a way that we were unexpected, not expecting. So take yourself into a courtroom and you're the person who's being questioned. Now there's a witness stand off to the left and you can see coming up from the audience, your checkbook, your portfolio, your stuff, your investments, and they go up into the witness stand. And then the judge looks at your stuff and says, tell me a little bit about him. Does he love God? Does she love God? Does she love others? And your stuff and your investments will be able to say out loud what you truly care about. What would your stuff say? What would be their witness against you? Would they say, he deeply loves God? deeply committed to God. She loves other people and she quickly gives away us for the sake of others. Or would they say he or she really loves themselves? They're all about them. They're building their own little kingdom in this temporary place called earth. What would they say? We also learn in these verses that it is in the last days. What an interesting thing for James to say. If you kind of enjoy that topic, uh, in the last days can mean a lot of different things. 
But the thing that we can't get around is the fact that 2,000 years ago, it was in the last days. Today is still in the last days. There's still a last day yet to come, but we are in the last days. Jesus could, back, could come back any moment. The skies could break and Jesus and the host of heavens could come through at any moment. So to be ignoring the fact that Jesus could come back at every moment is just missing what's going on. It's not being aware of the moment in time that we're located in. So they're ignoring eternity and they're investing everything into this life. Do you feel that? Think about your stuff as I think about my stuff. Does it look like from, for me as I look at my stuff and to you as you look at your stuff, is it, am I going all in for here or am I going all in for there? Where's my heart? Where's my priorities? To go all in here is actually kind of foolish. That's what James is saying. It's like you're sitting at a poker table. I know none of you play poker, but you're sitting at a poker table and you've got a pair of twos and you're thinking, I am taking this pot. And you just go all in with your pair of twos. God knows there's a pair of aces, there's a three of a kind, there's a full house and there's a straight. So you and I foolishly put everything in, betting on the temporary, betting on today and we lose it all. God sees it, he gets it, he knows it. And he's right here warning us. I had a buddy back in the day named Jim. He was probably more of a mentor than a buddy. A couple of different times he mentioned that he will never eat a bologna sandwich. What? Jim, why do you, like, what, why, who cares? It had nothing to do with the fact that it was terrible processed meat, not good for you. That had nothing to do with it. From his point of view, his thought was, is when the skies burst open and Jesus shows up on the scene with the hosts of heaven, he doesn't want to be sitting there holding onto a bologna sandwich. I'll be right with you, Jesus. Let me finish my bologna sandwich. Like, so from his point of view, he just could not imagine the idea of that being when Jesus shows up in that moment and he's holding onto a bologna sandwich. Now, the bologna sandwich, that doesn't matter. But the idea there, I love the thought of any moment Jesus could come back. And if he showed up, what would I want him to see me doing, focusing on, thinking about? And I agree, I don't want it to be me eating a bologna sandwich. But, but you get the illustration. Are we investing in the Lord's things? God, the word of God, the souls of men. So hoarding and accumulating in these last days shows a lack of awareness. It shows a self-centeredness that is just not appropriate at this time in history. It doesn't make sense to go all in on the now. You're just completely ignoring and missing out on the fact of the forever that could bust through at any moment. If we get that, if we believe in that, then we realize that the stuff that I have, the stuff that you have should be used for God's mission for your neighbor, for your coworker, for that family member, for that friend, for that acquaintance who does not yet know Jesus, today is the day to have that conversation, to use your resources, to take them to lunch, to take them to dinner, to spend time with them. Today is the day. That's how we use our resources because the forever of tomorrow could show up and burst through at any moment. So that's how we're called to think. And we keep doing that where we share the gospel, we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the whole world knows. So until that is accomplished, it just doesn't make sense to go all in on today. 
So I just mentioned a second ago that hoarding and accumulating seems like a lack of awareness. I'll be honest, we'll just keep this between us, but uh, I have a little bit of a hoarding tendency. There's a, that's in me. I have a grandmother who's now with Jesus who when she died, it took a long time to get all of the empty yogurt cups and the folded up wrappers from McDonald's out of her house. Like that's a thing. Um, I don't know if it's genetic, but there's a little something in me. And what that looked like when I was a kid is it looked like me collecting things, random things, dumb things, but things. I always had multiple collections going at the same time. One of those collections was my bottle cap collection. Um, that picture does not compare to the number of bottle caps I had in my house. Not clean bottle caps. I'm talking about like you find them in the ground, dirty, like garbage. We're talking about garbage. I collected garbage as a kid in the form of bottle caps. And I kept them in my Lincoln log container. It was like a hard cardboard container. And they smelled terrible. Like my whole room smelled like these bottle caps. Pepsi bottle caps, Bud Light bottle caps. I would go into my family's living room and I would line them up horizontally, like all the different types of bottle caps. And then I would line them up vertically to see how many of each bottle cap I had. And I would spend hours doing that. If you're a therapist, maybe you can come help me later. But that's, that's what I would do. And my parents let me do it. So I invested time and energy into those bottle caps, into that goofy collection. 10,000 years from now, 20,000 years from now, a million years from now, what's gonna have more value, benefit, purpose? My bottle cap collection or my stuff? What's gonna have more purpose 10,000 years from now, my bottle cap collection or my investments, my checkbook, my cars, my home, my vacations? The answer is they are of equal worth. They, neither one of them make it 20,000 years from now, a thousand years from now, a hundred years from now. Recognize what your stuff is worth in light of eternity, not just in light of the moment. How much energy do we put into collecting bottle caps? Jesus says it this way, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we talked about the whole witness thing, that your stuff could stand as a witness, the reason why it can stand as a witness, because your stuff tells a story about your heart. Your stuff, your treasure tells a story about where your heart really is. You may say you're all into the kingdom, you're all into sharing the gospel, but your stuff is gonna tell a truer story than your mouth will. Jesus says that, for where your treasure is, there, 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 is where your heart's gonna be. They speak as a witness. So as we continue to move towards these questions, these diagnostic thoughts and spiritual questions we have to ask as we stay in this MRI, which is so uncomfortable, think about your life, God, word of God, souls of men. How are you doing? He continues in verse four and says, behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, so the people who are working for these folks and which have been withheld by you, their pay has been withheld from them, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. So catch the phrase, cries out against you. So they have people who are working for them, these wealthy landowners, these unbelieving wealthy landowners, and they're not even paying them. They're not taking care of them. And it says that it cries out against them. There's this picture from Genesis 4 that I think this kind of harkens back to where you have Cain and you have Abel, 
sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain, who's just angry and upset, kills Abel. And God goes to Cain and says, the blood of your brother Abel is crying out to me from the ground. And then judgment falls on Cain. That's the picture that this audience is probably receiving as they read these words. It's crying out to the Father. The Lord knows, the Lord hears. You and I may not be wealthy, unbelieving, oppressive landowners. I'm assuming there's not many of those in this room this morning. But each of us have impact on the lives of others as we interact with them, as we spend time with them. Think about your day, think about your week. How many times did you interact with a waiter or a waitress, a barista, a hairstylist, someone working in a Home Depot or a Kmart or a Kroger? How many times did you bump into a service worker, someone who might work for you in some form or fashion? Every time you've bumped into them, they've walked away with some understanding of who Jesus is or isn't based upon your interaction. I believe that our hearts will display to others what Jesus is truly like. The question is, have you represented him truly and correctly or have you represented something that they wanna have nothing to do with in the way you've interacted with people in your life? So I was a personal trainer for a long time. I was in the service industry. People sometimes would show up and they'd look me in the eye, they'd respect me, we'd have mutual conversations as I would provide a service for them. And I just knew that they were kind and caring and it was a, a good experience. And there were other times when they'd show up and honestly, I don't think I was treated much better than their pet in the way they looked at me and treated me and spoke to me in their tone that they used. That also said something to me. So regardless of, regardless of all that, regardless of what they were trying to do, like I would come to conclusions about those people. Every time you go into a situation where you're interacting with another person, they will come to conclusions based upon how you treat them. Here's my suggestion. Here's what I wanna push you with. When you walk into a place any place, when you walk into any place, make sure that it's a better place from you being there than it was before. When you walk into a Kroger, when you walk into a gym, when you walk into a Wendy's, when you walk out, make sure that it's a better place when you leave than when you arrived, in the way you treat people, in the way you look at people, in your generosity, in the way you make sure the place is cleaner than when you left. Take care of them. Go out of your way to show Jesus in your attitudes, your words, and your actions. You can do it. And when you do that, they notice. When I worked at Wendy's, and I worked at Wendy's for a period of time, more as a kid than as an adult, but I worked at Wendy's for a period of time, uh, Mary Ann was the general manager of our store. And when I was a kid, I was trying to get Mary Ann to come to church with me. And I asked Mary Ann to come, and Mary Ann said, I am never going to a church. Why is that? Well, Marianne was a waitress on the weekends before she became a manager. And Marianne would interact with people after Sunday services. And she was very clear. She said, on Sundays in the afternoon, those are the meanest people of the week. They're bitter, they're impatient, they're angry. They talk down to me. If I make a mistake, they don't let me forget it. And they don't tip me well. Why would I wanna go and hang out with people like that? That's a heartbreaker. If I went out and started going to different restaurants on a Sunday after we let out, what would be their stories? My prayer, my hope is it's something like this. 
I love those folks that just came from church, Bible Center and other churches. They're generous, they're kind, they're patient. They seem to care about me, even though I don't actually know them. What happens when you interact with people is you're telling them a story about Jesus, is a story that they're hearing is he loves you, he cares about you, he's patiently waiting for you to come to him, or are they hearing Jesus is demanding, he's unkind, he's impatient, and he doesn't know how to tip well. The worst, just don't, just don't do this. I'm a, if you do this, I'm stepping on your toe on purpose. Don't ever go into a restaurant and leave a track with no tip. I've been around people who've experienced that. Oh, I'm gonna help you spiritually, but I'm not gonna help you out with your actual ongoing physical needs. Here's a track, no tip. Just don't do that. That tells a story about Jesus that they don't need to hear. Jesus would often provide food and meet physical needs and then also meet spiritual needs. Be the kind of generous people that if you're gonna leave a, if you're gonna leave a track, great, you double your tip. I love you. I will sacrifice my stuff for your sake. And I want you to meet Jesus who I love. That all works together. So put that all together. I've been off track for a while. So let's jump back in and figure out where we are. So <clears throat> the next thing the text talks about is the fact that the Lord is aware this isn't happening behind closed doors. It says that this has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Perhaps in your translation, it says the Lord, of, the Lord Almighty or the Lord of hosts. The word of Sabbath there is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew. And it kind of speaks to many. It speaks to like an army. So what he's saying here is when you mistreat people, you know who sees? Jesus and the armies of heaven are aware of it when you mistreat people. He sees that. And you're setting yourself up against that. What's crying out to the Lord is the thing that Jesus and the armies of heaven are seeing you do. So I think it's good to ask this question. So let's, we're gonna steer off this for a moment and ask a different question. Should there be guilt for being wealthy? Should there be shame for being successful? Should you not put in the extra hours and work your hardest? I would suggest... It's God's blessing when you have excess. It can be God's blessing when you put in extra hours. God has called us to do what we do with all of our heart in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. So yeah, you and I should work hard. And I would also say this, the Lord blesses those who have good hearts and use their excess. An example would be Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, Paul rolls into Philippi. And when he rolls into Philippi, he meets this woman named Lydia. She is a businesswoman. She works with purple fabric. She's probably pretty successful. And what happens from this interaction is Paul meets, a, Paul meets a person of peace who uses her network, her relationships, her resources, and even her home to start and to launch a church. It's amazing how God uses this. In Luke chapter eight, uh, this is a passage that, passage that I've just read over and not caught this multiple times. I think... For me, and maybe for some of us, we think that whenever Jesus was hungry, he would just take a loaf and just pop off 12 loaves, right? Just every time it's just, I'm gonna do a miracle. Most of the time, Jesus actually would pay for his food. Like, I will buy 12 loaves and here's your money. Or where'd that money come from? 
how did Jesus take care of himself and the apostles? Well, it says in Luke chapter eight that there were people like Mary Magdalene, a woman named Joanna, a woman named Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. So Jesus and his gang, his disciples, were being supported by the wealth and the private means of these ladies and others. God was using those who had access to move forward the mission of Jesus. So the question isn't, is it okay or not okay to be successful or to have excess? The question is, where's your heart and what do you do with it? So that's where James is poking us. So a couple of good questions to check my heart and to check your heart would be these. Has my accumulation, has your accumulation and excess distracted you from God? Has it distracted you from God's mission? Has it distracted you from loving others well? How do you view your resources? Are they mine or are they his? Do we hold our hands tightly or loosely with our stuff? Mine or Father, use these as you please. Going into verse five, we are reminded of this internal war that James has been talking about all through the book. He says this, speaking to these wealthy landowners, you have lived luxuriously on the earth. You have lived a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. So we've already learned they're withholding money from their workers. And what are they doing with it? They're living luxuriously. All the pleasures, all the things they want, they're using that money to get those things. So they're hurting others. In fact, it, it says here that you have condemned and put to death the righteous man. What that's referring to is those workers who aren't getting paid. Those are some of the folks that are going to this church. Those are some of the folks who are reading this letter and they have been seriously and significantly hurt because these wicked folks are not paying them what they're due, what they deserve. In James chapter four, James chapter one, all throughout, it talks about this internal struggle, this internal friction, this push and this pull that's taking place between this desire to be all about me and then to move towards what the world provides in this temporary moment we have in time. And then there's this other desire given to me by God to be all about him and to move towards thinking from an eternal perspective. And in the middle of that, there's me with my stuff. There's you with your stuff. And the question is with your stuff, does it go this way to where I'm gonna go all in with the world in this moment? Or is it gonna go this way where I go all in with eternity and my forever purpose found in Jesus? So this war is pushing and pulling and tugging and tearing. So in these couple of moments, I'm gonna throw four questions at you. Maybe you write them down, maybe you just think about them. And then we're gonna move into communion. So as I throw these at you, I want you to be thinking through how you're doing. This is this MRI moment we started with. This is this MRI moment that we end with. And this is in what's going on on the inside kind of a question. When you view your stuff, your investments, your portfolio, your checking account, your car, your house, your, your stuff, do you view it as mine or do you view it as his? Is it mine or is it his? How do you view your stuff? 
Second question, do you view it as earned or do you view it as a gift? That's a hard one. I mean, I have calluses on my hands from working. I know the hours I put in. I know late nights. I know early mornings, just like you all do. So it's really easy to think earned. But really? From a little higher perspective, where did the energy come from to use these hands? Where does the air come from for every single breath I take to be able to do the work that I'm doing? If everything I have to work is a gift, therefore the things that I receive from working is also a gift. So that's the question. Do I view myself as earned or as a gift? Is my stuff for me or is my stuff for others? This is a little bit of that tight grip versus loose grip mentality. The things that I have, the things I've been given, is it mine? Is it for me? Mine, mine. Or is it more, it's for you. Open hands. God, how can you use this for the sake of your kingdom and others? Is it for me or is it for others? And it's not just what's in your head, it's what's in your actions. So as you're processing this, are your actions consistent with what you want your answer to be? Fourth question. All this stuff, all these things, is it to build my kingdom or is it to build his kingdom? Are you continuing to make your footprint here on earth a little bigger? Or is your focus to make his footprint, his church, his capital K kingdom a little bigger? What is your stuff resourcing? What are your priorities calling you to put your time, energy, money, and stuff into? So I'm gonna pray for us. I'm gonna pray for our next couple moments. And then we're gonna spend some time in communion thinking through this. You'll have time for you and Jesus to have this conversation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as children who struggle, as children who have a war going on inside of us between the things that you want for us and the things that we just internally struggle with wanting for ourselves. And Father, I pray in these moments of, being in your MRI in James in these moments of this heart check, I pray that you allow us to have honest conversations with you, honest conversations with our spouses, honest conversations with our family members and our friends about our stuff. Um, so Lord, even as we think about communion, Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. We only can have this conversation because we're standing in your grace and your mercy. None of us deserve anything we have, so everything is a gift. And with that heart, we move into communion with gratefulness. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.